0: Taking over for Ken Norton Jr. as the new defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt shared his visions for what he hopes to see the Seahawks defense look like in 2022. We're going to be breaking it all down on the newest episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team. Every day, greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always for our Wednesday episode, my co host in crime, Rob Rang. Continuing where we left off yesterday, today we're going to be continuing our offseason blueprint to get the Seahawks back to the Super Bowl. What do they need to do on the defensive side of the ball to bolster their roster and get back into contention? We'll be checking out defensive line, linebackers, corners and safeties, all position groups covered. Glad to have you on board. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Just one day after being officially announced as the new defensive coordinator for the Seahawks, Clint Hurt met with the media over Zoom today, answering a number of questions. And Rob, he really didn't waste any words. He immediately came out when asked what this defense is going to look like next season and said there's one big difference. They're going to be much more aggressive. Now, does that necessarily mean they're going to be blitzing 50% of the time? No, but he did say they're going to blitz a bit more and... Much to the light of 12s everywhere, it doesn't sound like he's going to be dropping Al Woods into coverage near as much next season.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that would absolutely be a delight to Seahawk fans, to Al, Wood, Al Woods, excuse me, to, to just about everybody uh, who wants Seattle to be successful. I, I think that that is one of the things that we certainly can expect. Look, I, I have a great deal of respect for for Ken Norton Jr. But I also think that there were many times uh, over the last couple of years where he called Seattle's defense like you might expect a former all pro linebacker uh, to do so. Uh, And from a linebacker mentality, just get a little bit more physical. Just get a little bit more aggressive. Um, Not a great deal of creativity. Maybe drop back a couple of those defensive linemen where linebackers normally are to be able to confuse the defense, but not really with the mentality of a big man whose job is primarily to be able to stop the run and be able to rush the passer. But with Clint Hurt, he is a big man. He does have that mentality. And I I would certainly acknowledge the fact that he has has a different level of charisma and I think a media savvy that it's a little bit uh maybe unexpected for a guy who doesn't have a great deal of experience in this regard but I think also one of the reasons why Seattle just kind of picked him out years ago as maybe the the heir apparent here just because of the fact that he is as savvy as he is that he does see the game the way it is transitioning now so I do expect the Seahawks to be much more aggressive on the defensive side of the ball. I do expect there to be the continued improvement that we've already seen among Seattle's defensive line. Um, and I do expect there to be a, some uh, added creativity in, in the secondary. So uh, I'm excited about this. I'm excited to hear about what your thoughts were, Core, because you were, of course, one of the, the very few uh, beat writers who were available to be able to listen exactly to what Seattle's new defensive coordinator had to say.
0: Yeah, you know, I went into this with an open mind because, and again, I I have a lot of respect for Ken Dorton Jr., and I think that he did a solid job coaching this Seahawks defense considering some of the personnel changes and injuries that they had to deal with over the last four years. But he was never necessarily an easy coordinator to get good information out of, particularly leading up to game week. Now, we'll see what Clint Hurts like during the season. I'm sure he will be much more guarded than he was today. But I can tell you that he certainly opened up on what his visions for this defense were, not just from an aggressiveness standpoint and potentially blitzing more, but he was talking about using more man coverage, not being as zony, in his own words. You know, uh, Pete Carroll has lived off of the cover three and four, three defense throughout his tenure in Seattle. They've had a lot of success doing that, but as Hurt pointed out today, other teams had a number of years to continue to try to look at Seattle's cover three and figure out how to attack it. And over time they figured out some solid ways to be able to move the football. And then you had personnel changes. The Legion of boom is gone and suddenly that scheme is vulnerable. So you have to be able to make adjustments just like offense is adjusted to you. You have to be able to adjust your defense. And with that new personnel, the Seahawks personnel now is much different than it was when the Legion of boom and Michael Bennett and, Cliff Averill and company were in town. For the most part, it's all new guys with different skill sets. So you've got to be able to adjust. And I'm viewing this as a continued evolution. We kind of hit on this a little bit on earlier podcasts, but this is a team that was running more two deep coverages last year, particularly cover six. They were one of the top 10 teams in the league for cover six usage by percentage a year ago. So you're seeing more of those Vic Fangio principles. And Clint Hurt coached under him in Chicago for three years, as did Sean Desai. Those two were on the same staff together. And now Desai is in Seattle as the associate head coach. He's going to bring that great football IQ, the ability to teach and instruct defensive backs. And he's going to have that background from Vic Fangio's defense in terms of coverages. And so I'm anticipating you're going to continue to see a trend where they're going to play more of those two deep safety coverages. It fits their personnel. And I also expect to see more man coverage. That would be the next step forward. They were 31st in the NFL last year in that department with Ken Dorton Jr. calling the shots. The two other guys that we can name here, Sean Desai and Vic Fangio uh, from the Fangio tree, They were 17th or better when it comes to running cover one. In fact, Denver, I believe, was second in the NFL last year using cover one. So they ran a ton of man coverage. I would anticipate that that is going to be the next stepping stone in the evolution of this defense from a schematic standpoint. But a number of boxes checked off. I am very intrigued, and I can't wait to see what this defense looks like on the field because certainly some eye-opening comments and more revealing than I really expected from Clint Hurt.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things is that we talked about this previously, Corbin, is that you have a guy in, uh, you know, Sean Desai, of course, who uh, his success was with the Chicago Bears. And you just think about the quarterbacks that they had to face there. Um, Obviously, primarily Aaron Rodgers, but also Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, who, well, let's be real Seahawks fans. Jared Goff chewed up the Seahawks way too many times for us just to dismiss him. Um, And and so the fact that the Chicago Bears had the success defensively as they did against that NFC North division, I think is one of the reasons why that there's so many people out there who are connected to the Seahawks are as excited as they are about Sean Desai. Same thing here with Carl Scott, uh, you know, and his experience with with the Minnesota Vikings. And then going back to Vic Fangio um, and and that whole mentality um, that, that Seattle is also going to be kind of bringing in here again, going back to the Denver Broncos going up against the, the AFC West with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, with Justin Herbert, the LA Chargers, Derek Carr yeah. with the Raiders. I mean, you were talking about some of the most prolific passing games in all of the NFL. And the fact that you're bringing in so many defensive coaches who have had success against them, I think just kind of screams exactly the type of actions that, that Clint Hurt was just saying today. And that this is not just words. This is matching up with what you've actually seen on tape. But these are defenses who are going to be more aggressive. I'm fascinated to see what Clint Hurt um, and the rest of Seattle's coaches are going to be able to do with Jamal Adams, for example. Uh, I think that we are going to see much more of the Jamal Adams that we saw in 2020 Than we saw this past season when he went from setting the NFL record for defensive backs for sacks to suddenly dropping off the face of the earth in terms of a pass rusher. You talked about it before. I think that you're going to see defensive linemen not dropping back into coverage, being that much more aggressive in how they attack the line of scrimmage. And we saw that in the last couple of weeks of the season when Al Woods became an absolute dominant force when Carlos Dunlap became an absolute dominant force. And as we've talked about so many times before, I am so excited about what Daryl uh, Taylor is going to be able to provide the Seahawks. You, you just see those traits. You see the burst. You see the bend. This is a young man whose best football is still ahead of him. I, I think that with a couple of little tweaks to Seattle's defense, this really could be a defense that is ready to pop. I think that's why Sean Desai and Carl Scott Want to kind of hitch their wagon, so to speak, to what's growing here in Seattle? Because I think that they see that this is a defense that very much is on the rise.
0: Yeah, I think you just mentioned the biggest takeaway for me. I mean, you could overlook all the X's and O talk, and there was plenty of it. I thought Clint Hurt did a good job with that, but it's clear he knows his success or failure in this position is going to ride on his ability to maximize the skill set of the players at his disposal. And if there's one thing that Ken Norton Jr. struggled to consistently accomplish, that would be it. So with players like Jamal Adams, Carlos Dunlap last year dropping back in coverage a bunch, let these guys do what they are good at. And if Clint Hurd is able to do that, working with Sean Desai as well as Carl Scott, two defensive back, passing game-oriented minds on this staff – then they have a chance to take a big step forward, especially if they're able to add some impact players, which is a perfect segue into our next couple segments here because we're going to continue our offseason blueprint, looking at what the Seahawks need to do on defense to get back to the Super Bowl next season. You won't want to miss it. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both college and pro hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance, props, To where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds, right to Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast Wednesday edition. I'm your host Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Yesterday, we kicked off our annual off-season blueprint series. It's a two-parter, two episodes. Yesterday, we were dissecting what the Seahawks need to do on offense to get back to the big game next February in Glendale, Arizona. Now we're going to flip the script to defense, and I think you and I would both agree on this. We might not agree on what moves necessarily need to be made, but kind of piggybacking off of our conversation about what Clint Hurt had to say today, this is a team that has a lot of good pieces on defense, but they also have some holes that they need to address, and so it feels like this is the side of the ball that needs the biggest changes potentially from a personnel standpoint, and I think we got to start with the pass rushers at defensive end. There are some talented players in this group, but they need to add an alpha dog to this group. I've been making this argument for several weeks. In fact, I made this argument last offseason, the offseason before. They've had some really good pass rushers on this team over the years, but they haven't had that elite guy that really takes the pressure and opens things up for everybody else. Dunlap kind of did that two years ago, but he's getting to be a little older player. You need that player that can come in and get you 12, 13, 14 or more sacks, that true alpha dog. And I guarantee the rest of this defensive line is going to get better rushing the passer by default.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I've used this uh, analogy in the past, Corbin. I see a bunch of guys who are kind of like the, the second, third, fourth, fifth starters in a major league baseball rotation. They don't have a true number one. But once you get that number one, once you are not forcing Daryl Taylor, Carlos Dunlap, Puna Ford to be those kind of, you know, number one, number two kind of guys, you actually put them in a, a little bit better rotation, then I think suddenly they explode. And, and that to me is probably the most critical. Uh, you know, move that Seattle has to be able to make uh, not only along the defensive line, but in terms of their entire roster, whether it be in free agency or the draft. And, and I, I mentioned the draft because I think that this is a draft that is absolutely loaded with pass rushers. Now, do I expect the Seahawks to be able to you know pull off some type of move to go up and get an Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau? No, I don't think that's what the what John Schneider is looking to do. But there are so many good pass rushers who are veterans, including a couple of guys who are in your own division. I mean, Von Miller just won a Super Bowl. Chandler Jones has absolutely eaten the Seahawks for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. I mean, so if you are able to steal from one of your divisional opponents, be able to add that player to your roster, then that could be exactly what you're looking to do right there. And and I mentioned those two players just because of, again, just the, the, the regional, uh, you know, Similarities here, but at the same time, there are so many good veteran pass rushers who are available to Corbin and, and the fact that there are as many good young pass rushers in this draft than some of these veterans. Maybe struggling to find themselves an NFL team is going to be willing to give them a lot of dollars and you just look at what the the Raiders did with Max Crosby with the you know the 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 Bengals did with their pass rush bringing in some guys I mean there are a lot of pass rushers that are not necessarily going to get the biggest contracts but yet are still very effective uh, effective off the edge and so that's where I think that this is something that Seattle should be able to take advantage of.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Jones and Miller because those are the two biggest names that are going to be free agents, and they're still both very productive. We saw Von Miller down the stretch for the Rams. Felt like he was getting at least one sack every game. He had a big postseason on their way to a Lombardi trophy, so... I don't care that he's going to be 33. He's still got plenty of juice. He is still a very technical pass rusher. I think he's got good football left in him. And Chandler Jones had another very solid season. Maybe didn't get the sacks that he usually does after the season opener. He had five, and then after that didn't get a lot of sacks, but still very disruptive. And I think he'd be a good fit, especially if the Seahawks are going to be running more of a Vic Fangio-type defense with three four fronts, five defenders up on the line of scrimmage. Chandler Jones thrives in those type of situations. So I could see that being a really good fit. I'm going to throw another name out here, though. I don't know if he's going to become available or not. But the Minnesota Vikings have a little bit of a cap situation that they're dealing with. And Daniil Hunter, he has been injured each of the last two seasons. That is the caveat here. His durability has been in question, but he is still a fairly young player. And he had six sacks in just seven games last year. So when he's been healthy, he is still a game wrecker. And I would love to see what that guy could do playing the Leo position in Seattle's defense. 3-4, 4-3, don't care. He would be an outstanding fit rushing off the edge. And you want to talk about an alpha dog, he is one of the NFL's best edge rushers when he is healthy still young if as long as he checked out in the physicals if he gets cut I would even maybe even consider calling the Vikings and being like hey are you guys interested in a 2023 draft pick I might even float a third because the upside for this guy is still through the roof with the way he played last year the injury he had wasn't related to his neck issue from the year before so I'm not concerned about that. So Daniil Hunter would be an even younger option that has a lot of upside. There is the risk with his injury history, but he was healthy up to the last two years. So that might be a gamble that I'm willing to take for a premium pass rusher. Those are the kind of moves they need to be looking at right now.
1: I 100% agree with you. Um, And again, you just mentioned some of the the biggest names. I mean, Dante Fowler just got dropped, at least reportedly from the Atlanta Falcons. You have uh, some of the other guys who are a little bit old in the tooth, but are also still very effective. Jason Pierre-Paul, Jerry Hughes. uh, You know, Anthony Barr, of course, has played more of a traditional outside linebacker for those very same Minnesota Vikings. But at the same time, I've always been intrigued by what he might be able to offer as a true pass rusher. Jadeveon Clowney, of course, you know, knows him very well. Um, Nine sacks last
0: year for the Browns.
1: Exactly. Emmanuel Ogba with the Minnesota, with the Miami Dolphins also, mm-hmm. I believe, had uh, nine sacks himself. There are a lot of good pass rushers out there, Corbin. I mean, and so you just kind of look at it. I mean, again, I, I mentioned what the Cincinnati Bengals did. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are really skeptical about what kind of player Trey Hendrickson was. And I would argue that, uh, hey, with all due respect to what Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, etc., cetera, et cetera, on the offensive side of the ball, Cincinnati Bengals are not qualifying for the Super Bowl without that pass rush and that defense just in general, really, uh, you know, completely taking a, a complete U-turn a, a year ago. And, and so to me, that is where you have to kind of find one of these pass rushers that maybe isn't going to get that top dollar, or maybe he does, but on a one-year type of a deal, the, son, the kind of deals that that John Schneider and the Seahawks have preferred in the past, I think that there are a bevy of pass rushers in this year's free agent class that you might be able to get a little bit of a quote-unquote diamond in the rough.
0: I'm going to throw one more name out there that could make some sense. He's had double-digit sacks each of the last two years. Last year with the Panthers, had a slow start to his career, but Hassan Reddick is still a young player that yep. might be a better fit for the defense Seattle's going to run now than what they would have ran in recent seasons, playing more of that hybrid outside backer, smaller size outside linebacker. So I'd be curious to see what kind of fit there would be there too because he's still a young player, very explosive off the edge could maybe make some sense to look at him. And that might be a guy that you give a longer term deal because he is a younger player that still seems to be trending upward and getting better. Now in the defensive interior, I could live with the Seahawks sticking with status quo at that particular group. Puna Ford is still a young enough player that I think he's got a chance to continue improving for a few more seasons. Al Woods had a great year last year. I think he's got plenty of football, good football left in him. Brian Monet's made improvements. Those three guys, I'd be fine with that being the foundation again because they were excellent last season, but we talked about the need to bolster the pass rush. You want to help your outside pass rushers? Get an interior rusher that can wreak havoc, and Akeem Hicks is another player that it's got to be the right price because he's getting older. He has had some injuries in two of the last three seasons, but... He's only two years removed from a year with more than 50 pressures. At 335 pounds, you can play him three-tech, you can play him at the nose, you can play him at big defensive end, you can play him all over the line. One of the most underrated players in the league. And, oh, by the way, he has a really good relationship with your new associate head coach, Sean Desai, from all those years they were together in Chicago. So Desai might be able to do some recruiting for you. I would love to see on passing downs, especially Akeem Hicks, and Puna Ford as the interior rushers. And if you had Chandler Jones or one of the guys we mentioned going with Daryl Taylor or Carlos Dunlap on the outside, suddenly you have a very formidable pass rush and the rest of the defense is going to benefit from that.
1: Yeah, I absolutely could. And again, same thing that I was arguing about on the edge rushers, you see the same kind of thing with defensive tackles. I mean, just listen to some of these names and just let your mind kind of imagine the possibilities. Uh, You know, well, hey, let's just start off with the former Seahawk and Jaron Reed, who's now a, a free agent. Uh, let, let's go over to you know some of those veterans you just mentioned. Uh, you know, with Jesus, Akeem Hicks. What about Calais Campbell? I mean, he's kind of been a three-four oh, yeah. defensive end in the past, we might be able to slide him in at times. Now, still a good player, it, it, absolutely. And, and we do have to mention the fact that the Al Woods is a unrestricted free agent, so there's a possibility that Seattle could lose him. I think that bringing him back. Would make an awful lot of sense. Brian Monet is restricted free agent, but still, I think that there's a good possibility that both those players wind up returning. To Seattle. And they were very, very stout against the run a year ago. But I think that's one of those misleading stats because I think that some of the reason why they were as so stout against the run is because teams had just as easy as it was to be able to throw the football on Seattle. So I do think that this is a position that Seattle is going to be looking to possibly improve upon if they possibly could. And then one more veteran out there, I have always had an affinity for Indominak and Sioux. Uh, I just remember what a dominant player that he was way back in his college days, certainly the Detroit Lions, certainly the Los Angeles Rams, certainly when he wanted to with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And and so if you were able to lure uh, Indomitian Sioux back to the Pacific Northwest where he grew up, and so to me would make some sense, then then I think that that's something that Seattle should explore as well. So again, just like we talked about the edge rushers, defensive tackle, there's an awful lot of veterans out there, Corbin, who I think there's only so much many out there. Some of these really good defensive linemen, edge and inside, are going to be kind of stuck at the very end looking for those deals that they, hey, can I get a one-year deal and see what I can improve that I still can be very effective in the NFL? I think that's where Seattle has to try to exploit this. If they are willing to throw a whole bunch of dollars at somebody, then again, those edge rushers we talked about a couple of moments ago, that certainly should be their priority. But I also think that this could be something like you saw Seattle do when they were able to bring in Cliff Aver, when they were able to bring in Michael Bennett, both of them taking less money than they probably could have got elsewhere, I think that they might realize that this is a Seahawks team that is ready to pop, and they might be able to take full advantage of that.
0: Yeah, and Damakensu, I feel like we talk about every single year because he's been hovering on one-year contracts in his Pacific Northwest route, so that is always a possibility, but they've had a lot of success with aging defensive tackles, with Al Woods being the most recent example. Kevin Williams back in the day, Tony McDaniel. So this is a position they have had success signing older players on one year prove deals. And there's a number of older defensive tackles that I think are still good. Akeem Hicks would be my favorite selection out of these free agents, but Calais Campbell would be a nice pickup. Even at his age of 37, he's still a very solid football player, at least as a run defender, maybe doesn't pack the punch as a pass rusher that he used to, but he is still a very good player. That would be a nice addition to this defensive line. When we come back here in a few moments, we are going to shift to the linebackers and the secondary. What should Seattle do at those three position groups, linebacker, corner, and safety, to get back to the Super Bowl in 2022? This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions. I'm still battling, still fighting. I'm sticking to my resolution thanks to Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs, you are missing out. One of the best Built Bars on the market. It's been my go to snack before lifting weights and running. Puffs are the first ever protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, and they're not just a protein bar. They're a delicious treat. Puffs are a fan favorite with incredible flavors coconut marshmallow. My favorite is banana cream pie. So many delicious flavors. These are going to be your new favorite. I can guarantee that. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. If you're wanting regular Built Bars, tons of delicious flavors there, too. Coconut, coconut almond, White chocolate cookies and cream for a limited time this month. They're all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to Bilt.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 at built.com for 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast. I'm Corbett Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks. Your first lesson, five days a week, continuing our offseason blueprint to the Super Bowl. We do this every single year, two episodes, two of our favorite episodes. We've already looked at the offense yesterday. We talked defensive line, your defensive ends and defensive tackles moments ago. Now it's time to shift to the back half of the defense, linebackers, corners and safeties Let's start with linebacker. We've had a lot of discussion already, Rob, about Bobby Wagner's future, and this is where I'm at at this point. This is a team that I think is significantly worse next year without number 54 in the middle. I know he is not the player that he was a few years ago. His athleticism is declining. His overall play is declining, but this guy is still a top 10 linebacker. He's still a tackling machine, and his leadership that he brings on the field 20 plus million dollar cap hit, they can't keep him for that price. But to me, as part of the blueprint, you've got to figure out a way to extend him for a year or two, or even add a void year at the end of it. You've got to do some type of a non traditional restructure to. Lower that cap hit. I think if they can get that cap hit down to eleven or twelve million dollars, then Bobby Wagner is going to be worth keeping. Twenty million though is just a bit too expensive. I would like to see him and Jordan Brooks team up for at least one more season, though. If you can get that cap hit down,
1: yeah, that's a big if. Uh, you know, I mean, it, because I would agree with you. I, I think that Bobby Wagner is still. Uh, you know, I think you know, make an argument that Bobby Wagner is still among the top ten inside linebackers in the NFL. He certainly is not in the top two, and that's where he's going to get paid. Like, uh, if he comes back to Seattle on his current deal, and if that is the case, then I think that you're going to have another mediocre season defensively uh, for the Seahawks next year. And I think that that means that you have a chance at making the playoffs, but you certainly are not going to be a a true Super Bowl contender in my opinion. Look, I I have as much respect for number 54 as just about any player in in Seahawks history. I mean, going back to guys like Steve Largent, Cortez Kennedy, uh, you know, and so I, I really do have a great deal of respect for Bobby Wagner, but you know, the, again, he is just not the athlete that, that he once was. And NFL teams have gotten used to Seattle's defense, have gotten used to Bobby Wagner. They know they can target him in coverage. And, and so that's just the reality of today's NFL game. And, and so, yes, if Seattle is able to get him to basically cut his salary in half and, and you're able to bring him back, then yes, I do think that that would be a, a huge move for this team and something that Seattle should look to do. Bobby Wagner should look to do but at the same time if they cannot middle linebacker has historically been one of the positions that you can replace as easy as anything on on the defensive side of the football and those are millions of dollars that you might be able to allocate to that defensive line which is the position now in today's nfl that is most impactful on the entire football team, with the obvious exception of the quarterback position. So, uh, I just think that again, if this is something that Seattle has to really, uh, you know, think through what they want to do here. But I am less afraid of moving away from Bobby Wagner, frankly, that, that I might be about moving away from Quandre Diggs or some of the cornerback talent. Just be, even though I think that this is a good class in terms of the draft for safeties and cornerbacks, and again, with all due respect to Bobby Wagner, uh, I just think that the game now is played in the line of scrimmage and it's played in the secondary and linebackers, as much as it kills me to say, cause that's football. As far as I'm concerned, linebackers and running backs meeting in the hole is, is just that raw kind of football that you love to see. But at the same time that the game has changed and, and I just don't know that Bobby Wagner brings enough impact ability uh, to warrant the pay that he is at this, the, the pay that he's getting at this point.
0: You look at the corners and the safety. It's a nice little segue there mentioning Quandre Diggs. I have been putting my fist on the table for months saying that Quandre Diggs needs to be the biggest priority for the Seahawks. And I'm maintaining that of their pending free agents. You got to keep your ball hawk, the one that has turned center field into a no-fly zone. And he's one of your unsung team leaders. He earned this contract. I know we had a significant injury at the end of the year. But he earned that deal. He wants to be in Seattle. I think he's got several good years left in him. He is just, he's the perfect fit for that position. He can play your two deep. You can move him around the slot. I mean, he is a very versatile free safety. One of the more versatile free safeties out there. So to me, that is a big part of this blueprint. If you want to play in the Super Bowl, and I know you've mentioned it, hey, they haven't gotten to the Super Bowl with these high-paid safeties. Yeah, but they also haven't had great pass rushers up front. If you can find a way to get, a really good pass rusher coupled with retaining Quandre Diggs. I think he can get you seven or eight interceptions in a season if your pass rush can turn up the heat on quarterbacks and force them into making tougher throws. This guy is a ball magnet. And so you get him and you have Jamal Adams already locked up. I know that's a lot of money at safety, but two of your best players. You need to have them both around. If you want to make the Super Bowl this year, you can't afford to roll the dice with Marquise Blair, who hasn't been healthy or a rookie out there. And I don't see anybody else in the market that's going to be a better value in terms of talent coupled with the salary you're going to have to pay him. So Digs to me, priority one, two, and three for this team of free agency. Get number six locked up. And I think DJ Reed would probably be in the second or third Threshold in that because he is another player at 25 that I think is going to be very important for them to resign as well.
1: No, I, I would agree with you to the extent that I, I would say that free safety is certainly a critical position in Pete Carroll's defense. And I think that it's more critical in today's NFL than, than it's ever been. Um, I, I do think that Quandrick Diggs is a very good safety. And if the money is right, if we're talking 10 million, 11 million, right around that range, then, then sure. But the fact that he has been as successful as he has, then, then he might be thinking, or his representatives might be thinking, that he should be gaining a lot more than that. Um, and, and so that, to me, is where this is kind of a, a tricky situation. Uh, I'm really fascinated to see uh, how this is going to turn out, because I, do, I would argue that there are some other really good free safeties out there. I've mentioned Marcus Williams from the New Orleans Saints before, um, and, you know, and he's had his mistakes, so there's no doubt about it. But at the same time, he's 25 years old. And this is a guy who also has that ball hawking ability. So he would be one other player that I would mention that if Seattle decided to go younger, then I do think that there are some candidates out there. I think that this is a pretty darn good class of free safeties again in, in the draft as well. And I do not want to see Seattle uh, you know, go the rookie route if we're talking about trying to compete for a Super Bowl this upcoming season. So I want to be clear about that. but. Same thing, as I mentioned before, with, with Bobby Wagner. I just do not have the fear of moving on from defensive players um, that, that maybe some have, especially considering the fact that Seattle finished 31st in the NFL this past season in terms of pass defense. I mean, it's not like they were that great in the first place. And you've already basically made the bet. You, you've allocated so many dollars to Jamal Adams. And you can make the argument that that was a mistake in itself. But the reality is, is three. Of Seattle's four starting defensive backs this past season are free agents. And considering the fact that they struggled as much as they did, at least statistically, then to bring them all back, you know, I mean, there, there's an argument to be made there. Now, personally, I, I do think the Quadre digs should be back. Um, I, but again, I think that it has to be a, a contract that's palatable. And then I, I would argue that that DJ Reed is every bit as important um, to bring back here. And I, and I think that that's something that, that you believe as well. I think Sidney Jones is a pretty good football player also. But, you know, I, I just wrote a mock draft for Fox Sports Corps. But the player that I had Seattle taking at number 41 was not an edge rusher. He was not a center. He was a cornerback, Roger McCreary from Auburn, who does not match any. Uh, of the traits that Seattle has has traditionally kind of preferred at that cornerback spot, but he is a physical, instinctive, uh, durable football player. And, And so to me, that is what Seattle has to be able to do. Whether it be veterans, I have so much faith in Seattle's ability to find cornerbacks. It's one of the things that they've done historically, but finding cornerbacks through the draft or via trade They have obviously struggled with free agent cornerbacks. And so to me, again, I think that this is going to be the positional group that really bears the most watching. I think we can all agree that Seattle needs to get better on the defensive line. It's the decisions they make in the secondary, I think, are very much going to determine whether this is a playoff team, which I fully expect Seattle to be a playoff team next year. If this is a Super Bowl caliber team, then their secondary has to be much, much better.
0: And I would think at the corner position, you mentioned Sidney Jones as well, and I don't know how expensive he's going to be. Maybe he's going to be a player that you can bring back at a really affordable rate and you can keep him and D.J. Reed. But I'm going into this offseason to free agency believing that you're probably only going to be able to keep one of those guys. And you can you know, use one of your six draft picks at this really deep cornerback class in the draft. And they've shown they can develop those players. And there's a number of longer corners. If Pete Carroll wants to go back into that avenue and try to get a tall, lanky corner that might fit what they've perceived as their best fit in the past, I mean, there are options for the Seahawks to roll with here. And so they need to improve that group. But I, I mentioned it earlier. I, I like the core that they had with Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, DJ Reed, and who you know, if Sidney Jones, whoever's the other corner, I liked that nice core that they had in the secondary if they just had a more consistent pass rush that group by default would be much better and I think with Sean Desai coming the coverages are going to tighten up they're going to do a better job of keeping opponents off the field and those prolonged drives so you have to consider all these factors too I think the personnel there is good enough to win with which is why I would still argue Quandre Diggs and DJ Reed should be two of the top priorities for the Seahawks to resign because I think you can win big with that group if the coaching is right and you have a bit better of a pass rush up front. The whole defense is going to be better. Those two, the pass rushing and the coverage, they feed off each other. They're married together. If one really struggles, the other one's going to have a hard time. So improving the pass rush is going to make that secondary – that much better. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out Locked On Bets for your second listen. It's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob as well at RobRang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up on our Thursday episode, I'm going to be tackling your questions in our weekly mailbag and continuing our position by position review, finally getting to the tight end group. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks!